podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody. It's your best friend, Jake Weaver. I'm sitting in one of the most beautiful spaces, probably in Portland, Oregon right now. Absolutely astounding artwork. I'm at the Living Light Center, a Reiki practitioning facility in Portland, Oregon. I'm sitting with Frank Copetiers. Did I say that right, Frank? Copetiers. Copetiers. Frank Copetiers. He's from Belgium. He's an amazing human being. We're here today to talk about Reiki. Now, if you've never heard of Reiki before, I guess the easiest definition for me would be to say that Reiki is a form of energy healing. And essentially these Reiki practitioners become masters. There's three levels of Reiki. Become masters and they go out and they heal people's various ailments with not even necessarily touch, but energy contact. Um, Reiki is a Japanese word and I first discovered Reiki completely by accident. I was at a kind of a small little festival with some booths and I really wanted to get a massage. My muscles ached. I was in a lot of pain. I really wanted to get a massage. So I went up to this booth, said massage. So I was like, oh, I want a massage. So I'm getting this massage from this person, but I'm noticing that the person isn't really manipulating my muscle tissue that much. I'm like, what's going on here? This, I thought this was a massage, like a traditional Swedish or deep tissue massage. He said, no, this is Reiki. And I was like, Reiki? What's Reiki? And then he explained it to me. But I'll tell you, I let him finish his practice, his, his uh, energy work, felt super good afterwards, and the back pain that I was feeling went away. So that piqued my interest in Reiki, and I've learned a lot about it, but I want Frank to tell you a lot about it. So here's Frank. <laughs> He's lived here in Portland since 1990, and he bought this house with his wife, and they have had this house, and they turned it into the Living Light Center in 1990. Now, Frank, why did you turn this place into the Living Light Center? Did you buy this house with the intention to do that? No, not at all. We, um, it was a fairly small house when we got it, and you won't believe it, you know. It was for $75,000, can you imagine? <laughs> yes. Yeah, you can add a zero to that now. <laughs> indeed, indeed, indeed. <laughs> so you bought this beautiful house. Let me tell you, listeners, this is an absolutely beautiful house in Portland, Oregon. Of course, it was much smaller then. <laughs> uh, you put some extensions on. <laughs> we did. Yeah, a lot of the houses in southwest Portland, which is where I'm at right now, a lot of the houses are, were originally smaller in nature, and most have been expanded upon. Right. And so, actually, it was one of my Reiki students. His name is John Nickel, and he is also an architect and a builder. And we became friends, you know, and so did Kathy. Actually, his wife... Um, he and John met in one of my Reiki classes in Brighton Bush Hot Springs. Okay. I don't know if you want to whole, hear the whole story about that. Sure. We got all the time <laughs> in the world. We, let's just, well, I mean, you can also, you know, par paraphrase whatever you want to do. It's your, your, you got the ball. Okay. Because this is a funny, a funny anecdote, I think. So at the end of my class in Brighton Bush, uh, where I have been teaching for quite a while for the Oregon School of Massage, we are taking a, a group photo 
And we're sitting, all of us, about 16 of us, on a massage table for the group photo, and the massage table collapses. And so John, immediately, he goes to the tool shed, and within minutes, he comes back, and he's able to fix that table. And it was the table of a, a beautiful uh, woman in our class. Her name is Carrion. And Carrion was tremendously impressed how John was able to fix that table so fast. So <laughs> they had a date a week later, and then <laughs> they married. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and they have become and still are very, very good friends of ours. So John at some point convinced me and Kathy. He said, you know, because I, had, I was working out of a small, very small place off Shaw's Ferry Road, and he said, Frank, you need a bigger place. You know, your Reiki circle is growing and growing. It needs to be much bigger. And so Kathy and I, we looked at each other. We said, you know, I mean, we don't have the money. I mean, John, you know, this is a great vision. Well, he said, let me, let me draw it for you. And he took a little napkin. He started to draw. And Kathy and I, we looked at it. And we thought, well, why not? And look at it. Look at the ceiling. That was John's idea, to have <sighs> something sloping up towards the sky. It's a beautiful, for the listeners, it's a beautiful vaulted inward, almost like a pyramid going in, and then there's a square with the sunlight coming in, a glass kind of uh, shaded glass with the sunlight coming in. It's absolutely beautiful. It looks like it's a funnel for energy, and, and energy is just going out of this beautiful portal. And you know, Jake, just as you came in, you mentioned Ramdas. I love Ramdas. I know I do too. And so I don't know if you knew that Ramdas had his own teepee on the Brighton Bush property. I had heard about that because I do know that when the 40th anniversary of Be Here Now took place, they did have an event at Brighton Bush where unfortunately he wasn't able to leave Maui, but they did kind of do like a stream, a live stream, maybe satellite or internet feed to Brighton Bush where they had a 40th anniversary celebration of Be Here Now. So I was a little familiar but not fully. Right. So, so you know what Ramdas used to do when he was teaching there? Then he would have like private sessions with participants in that teepee. It was a fairly small teepee. Wow. Yeah. And so he had just given a workshop there, which I did not attend. And then the next weekend, I came and gave my Reiki class there. So I asked the Brighton Bush people if it would be okay for them that I could do one of the Reiki initiations in that teepee. And they said, sure. And I must say, doing the Reiki initiations in that teepee, and just as you mentioned, you know, with the energy going up from the earth into the sky and back, that was such an incredible experience. So I said to John, if you can build me something that has that same idea. Okay. Yeah. So this, this <laughs> so it has the TP vibe. It yes. feels like a TP, and yet it, it almost has the feel of a, a Mayan pyramid with the flat square top. Like it, it's very, the energy is powerful here. And, you know, there's beautiful paintings. We have Jesus, Ganesh, Buddha, everybody. Everybody's here. The whole crew. Ram Dass. I see, is that Sai Baba over there? I see Neem Crowley. We got all these beautiful pictures. I'm surrounded by some of the most spiritual people of all time. Sri Aurobindo, sweet mother. Oh, Sri Aurobindo, yes. Was she the hugging? One of them is the hugging goddess, right? Is that her? No, this is Ama. Ama, yes. Ama. Yeah, okay. Ama. Or the hugging saint. Mother Mira. A beautiful space. 
Ramana Maharshi. I'm sure a lot of incredible energy work goes down here. Yes, yes, yes. Many so, people have So what, what type of energy work do you do? Because, you know, we, for the people that, you know, have never heard of Reiki, okay, Reiki is a Japanese word. Let's, let's just touch on the history of Reiki a little bit. So Reiki is a Japanese word, and it was founded by a wonderful man. His name was, hopefully I pronounced this correct, Mikio Usui. Yeah, you almost got it right. Mikao. Mikao. Mikao Usui. Mikao Usui. Yeah. And in the, it was in the early 1920s. So, I mean, Reiki as a practice is just about 100 years old. Exactly. And, you know, it was inscribed on his gravestone that he taught to over 2,000 people. He taught from the source, the original Reiki, to over 2,000 people before he passed. And, uh, you know, he, the story is, from what I understand, and please correct me if, if I'm missing anything, Frank, he went to med- deep meditation in the mountains of Japan. And he wanted to, he went to meditate with the intention to understand the healing that Jesus has done, had done. Is that correct? That's correct. So he That's wanted correct. to know why, how it was possible in almost a scientific sense for Jesus to do this energy healing, the miracles we read about in the Christian Bible. He got what, he what we would call a download now in modern you know terminology he got a download which was the reiki practice and then he taught that to other people is that f- correct frank absolutely absolutely uh it's actually again you know these amazing synchronicities because you called me i believe on saturday yes which is when i was just in the middle of facilitating the 36th annual Northwest Reiki gathering, which takes place every year in Brightonbush Hot Springs. And of course, this year was the first time we had to do it online. Right. Did a Zoom or because of the, of the current situation. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, we always tell the story of Mikao Usui and the development of Reiki and where Reiki is going. Wow. Yeah. Um, and there's three degrees of Reiki. So for a person that's interested in learning Reiki, you go to a person... That just like uh, Mikao <laughs> taught other people, the, once people learn Reiki, they teach other people. And you can get a first level attunement, a second level attunement. There's three levels of attunement. Shoden, which is the first degree. The Okuden, mm-hmm. which is the second degree. And the Shinpinden, mm-hmm. which is the master level. Mm-hmm. Now, you, are you, of course, you're a Reiki master. We know that. And um, so... Would you, Frank, would you consider Reiki Christian in nature? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't, uh, which is actually a beautiful thing about it. Uh, it's true that Mikao Usui was very inspired by Jesus's life and also that he was curious about how the healings took place around Jesus. And he also was a, a Buddhist monk, and he knew that around Buddha, there was a lot of esoteric knowledge about healing, but he had this deep intuition that some of that knowledge had been lost. And so uh, in his search, because he searched for many, many, many years, actually, before a Zen master in his neighborhood in Kyoto told him, listen, you've done a lot of research, but you have stayed a bit on the mental level. If you really want 
want to get the download as 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 you just said you that's the thing that's a great <laughs> word download if if i think probably he used the word revelation at that time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know if you want to have a revelation go to the, there is a holy mountain uh outside of kyoto you mentioned that the mountains it's it's actually not that high but they call it the mountain and he said meditate for 31 days and fast which usui did and the very last day is when the dig the big download did come to him so everything in recent history always goes down to that moment in his uh, of his let's say enlightenment awakening receiving the reiki symbols and then coming down the mountain and being able to heal people it's very interesting because it seems metaphorical to the moses story who went up to the mountain to receive a certain amount of information a revelation of his time and to come down and that seems like what asui did absolutely absolutely which is a, an amazing metaphor and now you know looking at this biochemically do you think that asui when he went up there 31 days of fasting he's meditating for 31 days was the 31st day now this is just all uh, speculation was the 31st day the day when his brain unlocked the dmt release which opened a portal which allowed that information to come in yeah you know that i think that's a very valid way of of looking at it you know um because people who knew usui all did say that he was radiating with the energy when he came down he was absolutely radiating um and we we there's still some people around who are students of students of usui um, and so like third generation. So the students of students, somebody learned from a Sui, they're still learning from that person who's learned from a Sui. Yes, exactly. And last year we had at Brighton Bush at the conference, we had this amazing monk from Kyoto. His name is Hayakuten Inamoto. And he recited the Japanese principles, you know, in, in Japanese. Um, and he came to our home. Kathy and I had invited him for dinner here. And they're just the most amazing of gentle creatures. He's 80 now. And for him, you know, those uh, teachings are so alive. But he discovered Reiki, interestingly enough, through an American book that he saw on a marketplace somewhere in Kyoto. He had not, not heard of Reiki within his own hometown. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> so by divine providence, he meets a Westerner who then enlightens about something that's like right down the street. Exactly. <laughs> just as we meet, right? Yeah, I know. And, and just for listeners, it turns out me and Frank are actually neighbors by divine providence. Yet again, we love God. God's so funny sometimes. We're actually neighbors. We live less than a mile from each other. And I, I have a feeling we're going to become great friends. I'm going to see Frank all the time. <laughs> yeah, I feel... Certainly, we are kindred spirits. There's Definitely. No, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So, so, so back to Reiki and your question about Christianity, you know? Sure. Uh, because some, sometimes that's a little bit of a convoluted um, topic. Well, well, it seems like the idea was proposed by a woman named Hawaiyo Takata. Yes. Who is a Reiki master who wanted to make Reiki more palatable to the Western Christian ideologies. So she then tried to kind of find a bridge and be like, look, you know, this is what he did. He did go up to tap into that information that Jesus tapped into. So in a sense, 
it could be found within the Christian thinking. And, 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 but then it turns out in 1994, there was actually an original manuscript found from Asui, which he claimed pretty clearly that it originated from Buddha. Is that correct? Yes, to some extent that's, that is correct. But it's also true that we found, I mean we, people, Reiki people, found a memorial stone that was erected one year after he had passed by his students. And so it has the history of his life and the old kanji on it. And there is a very clear reference that Usui knew the Bible very well. So that's interesting, you know, that the students put that on there. So there is certainly uh, a direct connection between Usui's connection uh, with, with Jesus. No doubt about that, right? Right, but equally yeah. is the, the Buddha part. Oh, seems. absolutely. No, no, absolutely. He was, he, we now know for sure that he was a Buddhist monk. Yes, for sure. definitely. For sure. And Hawaii Takata also was a, a Buddhist, no doubt about that. But she wanted to make it like she knew that the mission was to get the information out there, so she had to structure it in such a way that could be appealing to the Westerners. Yes, I don't think she actually ever told a lie. Definitely not. Yeah, but she would emphasize for her public um, which parts they could frame it in like for instance she would talk a lot about god what is reiki she would say it's god power or she would say it's like electricity you put your cord in the socket and the electricity comes on reiki is similar like that you know she would say what is reiki reiki is the absolute it's the absolute power you know and she would talk about usui and she was trained by hayashi who was one of the 22 masters that Usui had trained. So she met him. It's a whole miraculous story, actually, how she came to find Hayashi. And then Hayashi came out in 19, I think, 36, um, to help Hawaii establish her practice on the islands of Hawaii where she lived. Okay, and that is why she kind of took that road. Yes. Yeah, with that yes. level type of teaching. That's really interesting. Yes. And, but, you know, really Reiki is universal, right? It, it yes. doesn't matter what, where your background is. No, it doesn't. doesn't matter what your religious thinking is. Reiki is definitely for every, not just humans. There's Reiki for animals too, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, animals love it, you know, cats in particular, horses in particular, because horses are very sensitive. Yes, know? to energy for sure. Yeah. Plants, plants love Reiki. Really? Yeah, they do. <laughs> you know, I was a cannabis grower for a long time. <laughs> I didn't think of doing any Reiki on my cannabis plants. Yeah, you should have. You should have. I have plenty of friends. Friends out there listening, let's figure this out. Yes, it's never too late to try. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. It could be the new thing. My cannabis is Reiki attuned. It's the best. Um, so tell me, though. Okay, so when Reiki... So you learn Reiki, you go through the attunement process, which is, I guess, just kind of bullet point describe the attunement process a little bit. Yes. I mean, some of it, you know, is, is I wouldn't say necessarily secret, but it's sacred. So the, the details are usually uh, not given. But I can tell you that when I was initiated 
by one of the 22 Reiki masters that Mrs. Takara trained, I just couldn't believe it. I absolutely could not believe it. It put me into a major Kundalini awakening that lasted intensely for about six weeks. And then I was actually happy it was starting to even out. (laughs) (laughs) It was like a big information kind of energy download. And you're processing all this. Took you six weeks to fully process everything that had come to you. Yes. And it was on a a physical level. All energy. Yes. My hands were, were hot. They were so hot. And some on occasion unbearably hot. Especially when I would put them on to Kathy, you know. And I was wondering, do I have to live with this for the rest of my life? But it did It did even out. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It so did. it was almost like you were being primed for your Reiki experience. Like you had to go through the, like kind of like the flush, the recalibration. And then after six weeks, you were ready. I, I think that's correct. And I think I didn't know it at the time, but I think it led me to become a Reiki master because that was just after the first the first training. One of three. One of three, correct. Correct. Okay. So it took me a couple of years, you know, which it usually does at least to become a master, at least in the tradition that I teach in. So here, here's the picture of Usui right now. Uh-huh. Right there. Yeah, look at him. He's such a happy guy. Yeah. You know, like literally, he looks like the guy you just want to hang out with all day, every day. Yes, and you know what's interesting? That he also defined Reiki as a method of happiness. <laughs> of course. Yes. Well, I feel like, look, my personal philosophy is if you can calibrate your personal energy to be more resonant with divine energies, you're living a more authentic, real reality. So you're going to be happier because you're not in the illusion. You're in the real world, which is God's wonderful world. Whatever the that mysterious thing is for, you know, we don't put it in a box, but what we do say is that it's real and it's wonderful. And you, you align with those divine frequencies, people, you're going to be having a very incredible life. And what does that really mean, aligning with divine frequencies? Being more in sync with love. It's not that hard. Just be more loving. Okay, go ahead, Frank. Yeah, yeah. Well put. Well put. Well put. <laughs> Well, you know, back to the meaning of Reiki. So, Ki is kind of obvious, you know, energy like in Aikido. Sure. And Rei in Japanese has a number of meanings, including spirit, but also universal. So, Usui felt that, and also his master, you know, his Zen master, they felt that this energy was a gift to humanity at large, didn't depend on your religion or even your belief system, but something that would help people for evolving in a benevolent way for many, many decades to come. So it was almost a seed. Yes, exactly, exactly. Dropping that seed, because you did mention that Usui had 2,000 students, we think, when he left the planet. But of course, you know, 2,000 is not a whole lot in a way. Today, there is millions of Reiki practitioners, right? Wow. And he, he, he knew that. Apparently, he knew that Reiki was going to spread all over the world. It was such a powerful download for him that it was unquestionable because it came directly from source. So you get this download from source. It's, you're, you don't even doubt it. You knew that this is going to change history. 
which it already has already left an impact in 300 years from now we don't even know what's gonna happen we could all be reiki masters as humans on earth wouldn't that be an incredible planet well absolutely you know and it doesn't have to be called reiki you know it doesn't matter but i i also believe that we are in a time of incredible potential you know sure the old structures are really falling apart um, and people are ready for something very, very different. Uh, life on Earth could be so different, right? Well, you know, I constantly tell people, and people that know me, you know, they've listened to me on other podcasts. Um, they know that my whole impetus is helping people realize that we are moving towards heaven on Earth. It's not even a doubt. I don't, I don't doubt it. I don't say we, we might be. I already know we are. It's just about how charting the path to get there. So I think that that's part of the mission of Reiki too, is is activating people to be more loving, to be more conscious, to be healing, to get us to that point. Absolutely, and you know what I think is so cool about Reiki? It's simple. It's so kids can do it. Right. Yeah. So it's elusively simple. So you're in a Reiki. You know, you're getting Reiki work done. What would you describe? the feelings that you're feeling while you're doing the Reiki. And on top of that, would you describe it as channeling or how would you describe it? Yeah. Channeling is not a bad word. Actually. I feel I become maybe like a hollow bamboo or something, you know, so that I myself as Frank, as a personality step completely aside, I'm very present. I connect with the basic energy of the person and I connect with the Reiki energy, and usually within within a few seconds, there is a feeling of oneness. And Reiki works as well on me as on the per- person who's receiving it, as at the space around it. It's it's almost a technology of going into mystical union right away. And that's really interesting you bring that up because it is a technology. It's a form of technology. You're using a tool in order to enhance your daily life. And this tool is energy and it's used for healing and alignment. Absolutely. And so this was our our great discovery, you know, in these last four days. So we just ended uh, our conference yesterday. But people were so surprised that... Reiki came through loud and clear, powerful, while we were doing it online, where, of course, we are so attached to doing it in person, in Brightonbush, in a special place. But this conference was equally potent, maybe even more potent than other conferences we've had. So you did a virtual conference, and you feel like the energy was just as potent or even more potent than in physical presence. Absolutely. Because you were uniting your consciousness in the ether, maybe? Like, what what are your feelings about that? Why do you think it was more potent? I think maybe because, you know, that people were tuning in, uh, in on Zoom, and so you could see everyone up close if you wanted to. And so the the oneness besides all these different unique forms, was obvious. It was like totally obvious that there is only oneness. Right. There's yeah. only, we're only the light. The vehicles don't really matter because vehicles are now projection in a digital dimension. Exactly. Right? So, but we're, yet we're still connecting in a form of consciousness, quantum entanglement, or some form of connection. 
and it's beyond the physical body. And it's so evident in these digital frontiers. Isn't that amazing? It is. Could this be part of humanity's evolution to get back to the understanding that we all understand that we're not our body? Yes, I think that's a very important point. Absolutely. And of course, you know, I, I hope there will always be a place where we can hug each other, you know. <laughs> yes, I of mean, course. I, mean, I love dancing at concerts. I mean, I'm a big live music guy. I got to be dancing. I love my physical form. You know, yeah, I, yeah, so I love do I. my I love my human horse. Of course, know? of course. That's how it's supposed to be. Absolutely. But as you said, you know, we are not just that, right? right. We are not just We're that. in the vehicle. We're in the vehicle, right? And so when we do these things online, sometimes it gives us a feeling, you know, that we are really star seeds, right? And that there is so many, many different forms of intelligent life out there. And we are just, as humans, one of them, right? Well, let me tell you, at last episode, I interviewed the director of MUFON, where they catalog the UFO uh, reports. And yeah, there's a lot of life out there, okay? There's so much more than we can even possibly imagine. And in fact... The Dalai Lama, when the Dalai Lama was in Portland, and I watched video of this, fortunately I didn't go, but I watched video, someone asked him about extraterrestrials, and he went on a whole discourse about our the brothers and sisters that we have out in space that are watching us, that are waiting for us to evolve. The Dalai Lama. So this isn't just, you know, fringe theory. This is coming from a deeply spiritual person. Yeah, beautiful, huh? Absolutely yes. beautiful. Yeah, he is one of the major figures of this time, you know, because he put religion and science so close together, you know, and he comes from a long tradition where they have a lot of knowledge about the esoteric um, knowledge, you know, that has been passed on forever and ever. Uh, when he travels, he actually travels with sacred objects, you know. Relics. With relics, exactly. exactly. And they're deeply powerful relics. They're probably just, you probably look at them and you can see the vibrations coming off of them. Yeah, yeah. I know. I mean, I don't want to go on a tangent here, but in no, no, no. But yeah. I love talking to you, Frank. We could talk for hours. <laughs> Clearly, Frank is one of the most interesting people on the planet Earth. I love this guy. I wouldn't go that far. He radiates love. <laughs> well, I will for you, buddy. Okay, you're amazing. We love Frank. Ten out of ten. <laughs> but tell me more about Reiki. So you're getting the uh, you're getting the practice done to you, and you feel like it's a form of channeling. Are you what what are you channeling? I am trying to be a channel for universal sacred life energy, which uh. is always here, always here. But somehow we block it by not being fully present or by limiting belief systems that I'm not worthy to receive the fullness of this energy. My channel is not completely open I have not been trained enough. You know, all these limitations that we can put out there. Reiki cuts through that, through its simplicity, and also, frankly, through its power. And it really, do you, have you come into contact with somebody that felt like Reiki wasn't authentic, but then had a session with you and then was completely transformed? Well, okay, maybe this is time for a funny anecdote. <laughs> hey, we love comedy. Go ahead. <laughs> so I was with a, a group of students of mine from, from um, Belgium and also from the Netherlands and Peru. I actually had to leave the Reiki gathering because of this trip. This is ten, exactly 10 years ago. 
And so we had this amazing work we did with uh, the shamans from the Kiros who live on the very high altitudes, you know, 14,000 feet and up. And so at the end of our trip, of course, we go to Machu Picchu and we are sitting in a train that takes us from Cusco to Machu Picchu. I think it's about a four-hour train ride. And all of a sudden, this drunken guy, an American guy, he comes onto the train. He sits next to me, even though that was not really his seat. And, you know, he, he starts to tell me that, you know, he has aches and pains, and he doesn't know whether he's going to be able to even climb onto Machu Picchu. And I said, well, you know, maybe I can help you. I could give you some Reiki. And so he says, what's that? Well, I said, you know, I, it's hard to explain, but I can do it for you. So he puts his leg, there was a little table between us. He puts his leg on there. I start to give him Reiki. And he said, no way. He had some feelings in there that he hadn't had for 20 years. Oh, my God. But then what happens? His only association that he could make was, this must be devilish. Oh, we're going to touch on that a little bit later. But yeah, so he <laughs> felt like it was witchcraft. That's right. Exactly. That was his only reference. And, you know, my students were sitting there kind of laughing, you know, wondering what I was doing. Because typically I don't try to proselytize or even give people Reiki. But there was such a coincidence. He was suffering. You wanted to ease this person's suffering. I wanted to make sense of the situation because, you know, we had come out of this most pristine environment. You know, we were the only white folk there up in the high altitudes with these people who are dying out, you know, and living in, in abject poverty. But the shamans we met were amazing. So then I'm, I come onto this train. This guy is drunk, you know. He's an al- I mean, but he's a human being, right? Of course. And he's on his way to Machu Picchu. So on when you go to Machu Picchu, miracles can happen, right? It's a very very powerful place for uh, earth energy and other spiritual energies, you would say? It's amazing. It's okay. it's an amazing place. If if you ever I have haven't a, been there personally. Yes, if you ever have a chance, it's it's worth it. It's very worth it. Yeah. So so maybe it's not an example of what you asked for, but, but for me it was Was he able to 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 do the walk? Was he Yes, able? yes, yes. So the day a day later he pretended like he'd never seen us. But <laughs> In the meantime, he had picked up a girlfriend and he was walking gingerly up the high steps of Machu Picchu. And did you try to like uh, engage no. him at all? You didn't no. even like say, hey, bud. No, 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 <laughs> How no. How's no, that no. leg? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> well, I do. Let, this actually just to kind of segue off what you just said. You know, I did one sect to one religion on earth, had a little bit of problem with Reiki. That seems to be the Catholics. And it looks like in 2009, the Catholic Church labeled Reiki superstition. However, their faith healing and whatever they do is totally legit. But then they said they labeled it superstition. And then in 2014, they went so far as to say it might actually contribute to demonic possession. <laughs> How do you feel about that, Steve? <laughs> Well, I don't mean to laugh. It's just no, so out there. I mean, we're, we're literally serving love. Frank is living his life to serve love. All Reiki practitioners are, I have a feeling. How this could be misconstrued by the Catholic Church, I don't know. But what are your thoughts, Frank? Well, you know, it's, uh, I think it's also tragic, you know. 
Of course, it's a joke, obviously, but, <laughs> it, but it's tragic, you know, because Providence, for instance, Reiki was in the Providence hospitals, and as a result of these, um, I'm not sure who they actually were, it was a group of eight people, who Catholic people, who were asked to do research, and they basically went on the web. Nobody, of course, had a Reiki session. They didn't actually do one No, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, right. So they go on the web. Yeah. They get and their info from IHateReiki.com. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And, you know, my teacher, Paul Mitchell, the te- my teacher for the first level, he actually is a practicing Catholic, you know, and he has been trying for a long time to have to sit down with the Catholic bishop of Idaho, where he's currently living. And as far as I know, it hasn't happened yet. And little do they know that the pre that remember Pope John Paul, remember him? Yeah, he was like three popes ago. That's right. The Polish the Polish Pope? Yes. He credited one of the Polish nuns with an apostolic blessing on her Reiki practice. Because it was very well known that this nun, after she became initiated in Reiki, she was already uh, known as a healing channel, and she was mostly using um, medical uh, herbs that after she was initiated into Reiki, her practice took a big leap. And so Pope John Paul was very, very supportive of that. And so we actually have a picture where he does that. So, so you know, if... So it's really interesting. They During that time, they did recognize it. They acknowledged it. They could see that a practicing Catholic nun was using Reiki effectively. but And yet, 10 years after he's dead, they're now saying it contributes to demonic possession. Right, right. You know, so... It's really does, interesting. Well, it's, it's interesting. Do you, is there any other religions that have a problem with Reiki? Uh, not, not as far as I know. Not as okay, far as I good. Because I really, I, the research I did, I couldn't really find anything. Clearly, Buddhists are fully supportive Hindus, you know, you go through the pantheon and really there's not much going on. Pantheon of religions. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so as far as, uh, um, you know, would you say that Reiki is something you should do regularly? Is it like if you have uh, medical issues, is this something you should do supplemental to your normal medical routine? Where does Reiki fit into somebody's daily health needs? Okay. Well, I, th- I think there's two things there. If you have a medical issue, I think it's always good to go to a professional uh, medical person, you know. But Reiki is a great form of complementary medical approach. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I, I um, used to give some talks to um, the what they call the medical assistants here in Portland at OHSU. And I must say they were very interested in, in the practice of Reiki. But if you have a serious issue, most of the time it needs a lot of sessions. You know, If you have been trained in, in Reiki, it's incredible to give yourself a regular self-treatment. So you can, as a Reiki practitioner, give yourself treatment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's effective. It's very effective. That's you really bet. interesting. Yeah, you can really save money. Look, you want to go. You want to get Reiki? Just become a Reiki master. You can do it yourself, and oh, you can absolutely. save some money. And you can go help your community. Absolutely, absolutely. 
I'm so thankful to be here with Frank. You know, Frank wrote some books, okay? Frank wrote a book called Unity in Everything That Is. I'm already in love with that title. Like, I see unity in everything that is. That's what the heaven on earth scenario looks like. It looks like a conflict-free world where we're all living together with all the technology and the spirituality. And we get to hang out with our, our friends. But So I love this book. What is this book about? Yeah, I tried to have it be a bit of a combination of a spiritual memoir where I would tell stories if they can shed some light of any spiritual issue that I'm talking about, and also to honor some of the teachers that I've had, uh, including, you know, these paintings that you see here in my office. Beautiful paintings. Yeah, they are by my shamanic teacher, who was obviously also an incredible artist. Yeah, it's just mind-blowing visionary art in a fractal, crystal, geometric colors. Very beautiful, very abstract, and just, it's almost like what what a soul actually looks like if you were in the astral dimension. Well, that's a very good point, because, you know, Yoshka Sosh is his name, and he was able to see people's energies energy field, and also to hear the sounds emanating from them. He was a very, very special being. And so this book wanted also to be a testimony to, I put, I think, 30, more than 30 um, paintings of his in my book, uh, just because I, I love him. You know, he passed away 12 years ago, and I was his student for 30 years, uh, and I attribute, actually, my finding Reiki to him because the, I received Reiki for the first time when I was a student at the Oregon School of Massage. Uh-huh. And I could immediately recognize that this was something out of this world because of my shamanic training. Oh. So you, you had shamanic training. Yes. Let's correct. talk about that a little bit. This is a little bit different than the Reiki training. This is actual shamanic training where you learned the traditions of a certain culture or what did you actually learn in your shamanic training well yoshka himself he was trained in the hungarian tradition which was still very very strong where he grew up as i think he was born in 1921 or something like that and then when he came to western europe he was totally astonished to find that shamanism was a worldwide practice and he was recognized by a group of Tibetan lamas who lived in, in London as a sound keeper. And so he started to uh, share his work and became probably the most well-known shaman in the Netherlands, Belgium, France. And some people from the U.S. Uh, went to visit him. Um, and he, I think he made about a thousand paintings like these. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, these are just beautiful paintings, beautiful paintings, people like, awesome. A thousand is mind-blowing. Yes, yes. Actually, can you see there, that one there? Wow! That's a portrait he made of me, and that's himself in the background. Oh, my goodness! It's a beautiful picture of Frank and his, uh, his teacher, and it looks like his teacher is beating on this drum. It looks like a, like, kind of like a bass drum in a marching band with some uh, beautiful sacred symbols on it. And, and Frank has the wheel of life in his soul, which we feel right now. I feel that right now. Like, I'm so 
thankful to be here with you, man. This is just awesome. <laughs> and then the fact that you're my neighbor, like randomly, is just even cooler. You also wrote a book, uh, handbook for the evolving heart. You have a CD called Shamanic Heart. What is that? Just chants and ragas? What's sh- what's Shamanic Heart? CD. What is it? Just uh, meditations well, I, or I, what's on the CD? Yeah, I have several CDs. I'm not. Oh, okay, quite, that was quite, one of them. Yeah, one of them I did with a student of mine who's a voice teacher in Belgium, and we recorded that one in in a church which has special acoustics in Belgium. Um, so that one has a lot of uh, shamanic chants on it. Um, and then another one I did with a, a local person. Her name is Shama, where she made some some beautiful, um, what shall I say, Western chants that went along with res- uh, meditations that I receive. Ah, so it's kind of like a little music in there too. Mm-hmm. You know, I love music. Um, but okay, so Frank, what does the word shaman mean to you? Like, if someone was to ask you what a shaman was, and you had like two sentences, maybe three, to describe it, how would you describe sh- what a shaman is and shamanism? A shaman tries to be a connection between heaven and earth, usually by invoking some trance, by drumming, by chanting and by connecting on a very deep level of the heart. With God, essentially. Sure, yes, with God. Or with just everything, just connecting. Just yes. like the ultimate connection with all that is. With all that is, exactly. Ah. And there, uh, what's a shaman's work? The shaman's work is to be of service um, in whichever form is the most adequate for the people or the animals or the, the places he works for. And shamanism we see is in cultures all over the world. What drew you to shamanism prior to Reiki? This is Frank before Reiki. This is Frank the shaman. What, what drew you to that? Well, I was reading uh, the books of Carlos Castaneda and was fascinated by them. And then one day, one of my students wanted to make his master's thesis on Carlos Castaneda. And I said, sure, that'd be great. So at that point, of course, I'm still living in in Belgium. And he told me that there was a practicing shaman coming to Antwerp to give a demonstration. And I could not believe it. I hadn't heard of him. And when I went to his demonstration, my the hairs on my arms stood up. You felt the electricity. It was amazing. And he had these penetrating eyes, you know. And I, I, I was fairly shy at the time, but I had to connect with him. And I said, uh, could, I, could I study with you? And he looked at me and he said, yes, you have to come. It was something really, uh, not just inviting, but it was like... Urgency. Yes, something like that. Okay. So he lived in Brussels, you know, the capital of Belgium, and I, I became, you know, one of his most faithful students. I was there every week. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, this guy radiates the most loving energy. It feels so good to be around Frank. This is really cool. I really appreciate this. One thing I wanted to touch on now, I went on the website for the Living Light Center, and that's uh, livinglightcenter.com, or what, what was the website for that? Yeah, Living Lights Center. Yeah, oh, you're right. All right. You got it. You got Center.com. It. He got that one. It's a good one for what he's doing. But I looked on there, you know, I read a little bit about Frank, and he says that he goes through normal, a transition between normal and shamanic awareness about eight to nine times a day. Is that correct? 
Did I read that right, or did I not read that right? Um, I don't think that's on there, but <laughs> but but still, still, that feels like about right. <laughs> okay, and then you see uh, normal consciousness as a break from shamanic work. Was that you, or was it is that someone else on the website? I might have confused that information. Yeah, I think you're thinking of somebody else. Oopsie but, daisy. Yeah, but that's okay though, because I feel the same way. You know, the shamanic work is so intense at times. Uh, actually, most often that I'm so happy to say, go watch television for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but isn't the shamanic dimension the real dimension? Isn't this the artificial projection of the, the human world that we're living in? Like the, we say shamanic, but then we look at the shamans and realize that they're living a more authentic reality in a way because they're living with God. So like how, how, how is, w what's normal consciousness, I guess? What's normal? If you know what's real, yeah, 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 I think that's a very good point. You know, I think the real reality is much more easily accessed in shamanic work or in meditation or in in trance dancing, um, certainly. But from another point of view, because I'm also a student of Advaita, you know, the non dual uh, tradition, everything is real on a certain level, right? Um, but to be constantly say, projecting onto people um, or onto world, or say, the projection on Reiki as being something demonic, of course, comes from a twisted mind that's not very awake, right? Right. So, so in that sense, uh, something that's formulated by a person who comes from that position doesn't have the same clarity as when Ramdas is formulating something, right? Right, because they're coming from a place of fear, limitation, uh, r honestly, really bad programming. <laughs> you know, they're they're getting really bad information, and then they're using that as their filter and projecting that onto their definition of things, which is creating problems. But which, like you said, would be Ramdas defining and projecting that is going to come from a way more authentic place. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's it's powerful right now. We need, like you mentioned earlier, the structures do seem to be mutating. You know, it's, it's hard to say what's going to fall or change. It does seem like it's mutating. I often tell people that, you know, when the sun is going to supernova, we have some problems. Until then, we're okay. So we're just trying to survive. So um, it seems like what, what does... Reiki and shamanism offer the new world that's that's being born right now. What what, what can it, how can it help guide that into birth? Yeah, that's a good point. I think when people have even a short glimpse of the real reality, it changes them. It's something you can't forget. You know there is something there in your own experience, in the reality of your experience that tells you this is real. This is so real. And for some people, it can be actually too much. But you always, normally, as a spiritual seeker, you want to go back to that experience. You want to have more of it because it feels so incredibly different from a shallow life, from, from living in a superficial life. Right. That's why I personally go to you know, concerts and festivals where you can have psychedelic experiences safely, you can get in touch with those divine energies and then 
you know, ex- ex- remember that and experience that. That's why I keep going back to these concerts. And, you know, have in your life, Frank, have you ever known anybody that, or even yourself, um, that has practiced Reiki while under the influence of psychedelics in order to maybe enhance the Reiki experience? Um, I haven't. I certainly wouldn't do that just because, you know, I'm a representative uh, as a teacher of that practice. Not not that I rule it out. Sure. I must say, though, when I was in London, where I used to go quite a bit with Reiki, it was the one time that I had a bit of difficulty when I had a person under the influence and I would know it and they would be so surprised because the energy... Um, I didn't feel that it was enhanced necessarily. It became a little bit, what shall I say, almost like being in a labyrinth of sorts. Um, there was the energy itself wasn't grounded enough for you to work with it in a way. It was just kind of all over the place. You think by like the labyrinth, or what do you mean by that? That I felt people were a little bit lost, and so when the Reiki was trying to access them, it could do something, but it couldn't fully penetrate. To, to the core. So my advice would be, you know, to almost separate them. If you want to do psychedelics, do them, you know, and have fun with them and learn from it. And when when you do Reiki, uh, just allow the Reiki to be there. Yes, don't cross the streams, people. Don't, if you're a Reiki practitioner out there, uh, don't take psychedelics and do Reiki. Keep, keep the stream separate. If you're getting Reiki work done to you, don't take psychedelics before you go get your Reiki work. The Reiki energy sensitive person's gonna know just going to throw everything out of whack, right? <laughs> well, that's just my personal counsel. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's such a, uh, you know, Reiki, spirituality, the future, humans. Where, where do you think we're going, Frank? Like, where, what's your intuition telling you as a very powerful, energy-sensitive person? My intuition is that humanity will make it, it will evolve, it's not going to be easy. Right now is actually a fairly dangerous moment in time because it things could go wrong, there is the potential for that. But we just barely started the Aquarian age, you know, so all this was predicted, even Carl Jung said, you know, that in the beginning of the Aquarian age, a lot of darkness would actually come to the surface, which it needs, and it needs to go there so we can see it. So to not take this lightly, but that humanity is programmed to go to its next step. I don't think people like Amma or Adobindo, they they have done their work so that we are ready to take this on. So I think, uh, I think Jake, you and I, we have been preparing for this, exactly for this, to be able to make this quantum leap. Yeah, I think so too. It's funny because, you know, a lot, there's a lot of fear going around right now. And I often tell people fear is the absence of faith. I, I try to live completely in faith, rock solid faith, never let fear, but there's so much fear going around right now. And how do like, how do we get away from that fear? How do, how do we not let that fear influence us? Well, you know, by being very present in the moment, I noticed this morning I went shopping and I haven't gone shopping, I think, in about 10 days. I went to Fred Meyer and to New Seasons because they are the sponsors of our this podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not, yet. Not yet. Maybe one day. We'll see. So I did notice, uh, because usually I'm not a fearful person by nature, I must say, 
but was it the fear that was present in the store? I'm not, I'm not completely sure. But it was almost at the cellular level. But the moment I came back in my sacred space here, I felt like totally at peace, in a very deep peace. So I think noticing when the fear is there is a very good way. And also, whenever there is a choice to choice, the choice would be to go for love, not for fear, but right. for love. Right, always, 100% of the time. But it seems like there's a push right now to almost stifle humanity's evolution in order to keep us from evolving. What force do you think would want to stop humanity's evolution? Well, you know, a lot of it is greed. Um, and you think it's all co- it's human created. It's fear. It's it's some, human. Yes, it's human created. Certainly. Humans are stifling their own. Some humans are stifling their own evolution or for the collective potentially. Well, the human mind, you know, is double sided. It can do amazing inventions and creativity and come up, you know, like even with our being able to make a podcast today. But then it is also fear based. It lives in the past and and is often busy about the future and has a lot to do with control. So because the structures are shifting, there is huge fear out there, certainly from those who have political power or economic power. They want to keep that. And so it's it's bumping against the cosmic energy, which is supporting humanity to evolve. But then the self-interests of mostly unconscious groups, you know, are also so big because they have the power right now, right? So so we are in the midst of that of that struggle, but I think humanity at large and certainly the ones of us who have been doing a lot of spiritual work, we will not be deluded about this, you know, about where it needs to go. Right, and we're not going to get caught up in fear. We're just doing the work. We've activated ourselves enough to know that we're living in service. Like we're this whole thing is an illusion. I'm just living to serve God. So I'm not going to get caught up in fear. I'm just going to do what God wants me to do and make this earth the best place it can possibly be. Beautiful. You know, then then I think that's all of our missions as spiritual beings to really tap into that realm of thinking and not let fear get in the way. Because another thing that fear does is stifle your manifestation abilities. So you have these hyper-creative people and maybe they're used to manifesting, they're creating businesses, they're they're doing all these good things, but yet all of a sudden now because of the current world situation, they're caught up in fear and all of a sudden their manifestation energy isn't as powerful as it once was. And then you look at the, and then and maybe it frees up some sort of energetic reservoir to where the people that aren't caught up in fear, the people that have faith, the people that know that God's running the show, they are able to channel that manifestation energy into all their dreams and goals. So if you're out there and you want things to happen for you, you want a better life, you want all the stuff that you want to have, let go of fear. Stop being afraid of anything. Realize danger's real, but but be in a state of perfect faith. I think that that will help you manifest more. What do you think about that, Frank? No, that's that's beautiful. That's very beautiful. And because you know, I think it's true. Uh, fear is not really what creates. Love is what creates. I mean, that is so obvious, you know. And right, fear it would destroys. be it would be very nice if that could be part of education. You know, it doesn't have to be a religious education. Just about how energy works. 
Well, it seems like they tried. I don't know if you've ever read any of the books of Napoleon Hill, uh, Think and Grow Rich, um, nineteen forty-seven, incredible book. Uh, what about Wallace D. Waddles, Science of Getting Rich? There's an incredible spiritual group of people around the turn of the twentieth century that tried to take highly spiritual information and distill it and restructure it in a way that you could teach these things to people. And it, a lot of it really did take off. Mm-hmm. Such, uh, you know, Napoleon Hill was the advisor to Theodore Roosevelt, who had the, you know, the only thing you have to fear is fear itself. It actually came from Napoleon Hill. I, I'm going to bring you a bunch of books. I'm going to lighten <laughs> you. I, I, I'm just having the great time in the world. But Frank, we have, you know, we, we've got as much time as we want, but we just hit the hour and two mark. You know, I'm not sure how long you want to go. We can go an hour and a half. Sure, we're good sure, for an no hour problem, and a half. Sure. We're good for an hour and a half. So, Frank, tell me. You know, we have listeners now. Thank you, listeners that are coming in from India, from France, from Scotland. I'm proud to say that we have listeners in Scotland, just right out of the gate. Um, tell me some of the things that you want to impart to people, Frank. What do you want the world to know coming from you? The things that you've learned, your knowledge that you've coalesced in decades of life on earth. What are some of the great things that you personally want people to know? Well, I I would love for people to know that if one sincerely, authentically seeks for truth, for love, it will find you. There's no question about that. Um, It's almost as if the moment that that is our intention, the whole universe starts to cooperate with that. That's certainly what I have experienced in my life. When I decided, for instance, to leave my secure, tenured position behind me, just to do that, and it's too long of a story probably, but every door that needed to open, opened for me. And it's still like that. Like Jake being walking into my home today. It's, it just it never stops. Once, once that intention is clear... And the intention in a certain way is impersonal. It's an intention to be happy, be loving, and to share that happiness and loving with others without anything attached to it, you know, not with an ulterior motive. Then we are led exactly to where we need to be. And it could be at a, at a small place, you know, could be on a bigger place, on the stage somewhere, but there is an intelligence in the universe that is able to be accessed by every single human being who wants to, you know. And it doesn't have to be part, it can be part of a religion, but it doesn't have to be, you know. It will be exactly perfect for the person who is asking to be connected. It's almost like a custom-tailored uh, spiritual experience. Absolutely, absolutely. It's your personal, specific t- connection with the divine. Yes, it is. And so when I'm doing Reiki for a person, for instance, it's exactly perfect for that person. And it will be very different for another person. The energy knows that. I don't, but the energy knows that. Interesting. That's really interesting. Now, in, your, in that beautiful loving statement that you just expressed to, you know, to kind of unfortunately counter that a little bit, what do you think to, for the people that think that? humanity is a virus on earth say that, that again that that think that humanity is a virus on oh, earth 
Well, I think there is some. Because <laughs> there's some people that really think that we're not meant to be here. We're a distortion. We, we're a virus and we're just causing problems. Humanity is not good. What do you think about that? Well, I, I think there is some truth in that. The human species is responsible for the disappearance of so many of the animal species, you know, which is really terrible. The human species lacks respect, is sometimes extremely cruel. The world wars that we have are that we have had, and and the wars that are still going on. So, um, I think for a good reason, humanity has a bad rap. At the same time, though, humanity is able, totally able and capable, and and hopefully has as its destinies to turn this place, which is already so beautiful. You know, if it weren't for the pollution and all the all the environmental issues, this could be a heaven on earth for everyone who lives here, including the animal species, you know? Um, so yeah, I think... So you don't believe humans are a virus, which is just like kind of a, a kind of a catchphrase right now. No, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. But I do think that uh, humanity has not reached its potential at all. You know? Yeah, we're. I often tell people we're halfway between caveman and Star Trek. You know, like we're we got a, we're like kind of in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully in the middle. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, and we'll see. You know, we'll see. Uh, I don't think humanity will 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 disappear, but it's not a laughing matter. And I know you're not laughing about it. You know, sure, sure. Um, but we have had many prophecies, you know, also from the native people that these times were coming where we are now, you know? And I, I don't see the virus as some kind of a revenge thing, but when things are not in balance, things happen, uh, which are difficult to deal with. When things are in harmony, we are immediately in a kind of a golden age. Yeah, because life is for expansion and fuller expression itself. Like life wants to grow like itself. It's pushing out. It's this great force of movement. And, you know, that's that's where we're at. The, the, the universe wants us to grow and evolve. Absolutely. So, so this is a moment of unbelievable potential we're in, you know? Even the fact that so many people have been uh, quarantined in their home it's like being in a spiritual retreat of sorts, right? Yes, definitely. And spiritual retreats are most of the time not very easy, you know? They, they are difficult because you have nothing else to distract you. So all the, all the dark stuff also comes up. The repressed emotions come up, right? Right. The stuff you were putting on the back burner because you were working 40 hours a week. Now you're home. You have to deal with these energies, these emotions. Exactly. But I wouldn't be surprised that whenever whenever we come out of this period, that many people will have grown strong spiritual muscles, you know, the ability to go deeper than ever before into their own reality and into the divine reality, which, of course, is basically the same, right? Right, of course. Like, there really is no separation. Exactly, exactly. And, and so um, that's still not an experience that the majority of people on the planet experience, so there will be a tipping point where more and more people know that this is true, not because somebody else says it, but from their own experience. Do you subscribe to the theory that if enough people raise their vibration on this planet, that we will pull the rest of humanity up into our resonant frequency? 
Yes, I think that's already happening, you know, and has always happened. Um, when there is somewhere a big spiritual light in terms of either a person that's embodied of or an entity that's not embodied, it has a big radiance on that whole place. You know, when I was in Bhutan, I don't know if you've ever heard of Padmasambhava, but he was an amazing tantric master who... No, I am personally. I haven't, no. Yeah, yeah, he's a... In in the East, he's very well known. They call him Guru Rinpoche. But, you know, you can feel his presence there so strongly. Yet, like, you can feel the presence of Jesus, you know, in certain places very strongly, or Buddha in certain places, or the Sufi saints in certain places, you know, it's just palpable that, or Usui for that matter, I haven't gone, but the mountain where he meditated, Mount Kurama, when people go there for pilgrimage, they can feel that energy there. It's not gone anywhere. If anything, it's become stronger. The anim- energy of Ramana Maharshi, he was this great saint in India, you know, in South India, and he stayed at the mountain Arunachala, where I've been with a group of people and with my wife several times, the energy there is unbelievable. Or in our neighborhood, Mount Shasta. Right. That's an amazing place to be. Oh, yeah. That's actually has a lot of history with, uh, you know, the metaphysical community and the New Age community. Uh, Mount Shasta was where the first channeled book was ever written, where the first person believed that they came in contact with an Atlantean spirit. And people talk about UFO sightings. There's hundreds of sightings of ufos flying into mount shasta which is so mind-blowing yeah so when you think of that you know when you think that all this has been around for so long you know and with a purpose these places are not accidental and the fact that there are ascended masters present you know in mount shasta so there are you believe there's ascended masters present in mount shasta this is the first time i've ever heard this oh really yes i've never heard that one before oh yeah yeah, because, you know, there's a lot, a lot of books about that. And, and it's, uh, so the main master they feel who is there is St. Germain. Okay. St. Germain, who was a great, actually he was a historical figure, you know, alchemist um, in France. Um, yes, in, it feels in Mount Shasta the, the, the veil is extremely thin, you know. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's the place, it's the... Um, I felt that in Sedona, Arizona. Exactly. I went to Sedona a couple of years ago with my family. And yes. Mind-blowing, yes. mind-blowing experience. Yes, yes, similar place, similar place. And Brighton Bush is a different level. There it's more earth-based, uh, the, the mineral waters, you know, the, the First Nation people who have been there for thousands of years, you know. Um, they, they've, been, they've been going to these pools at Brighton Bush you know, recharging as well. Yes, exactly, exactly. And and according to oral tradition, the tribes would never, ever do war activities there. They would sit in council, they would pray, they would rejuvenate, you know. So there are many places where you can feel that there is something very benevolent that's put there and that is still extremely active and helping humanity, you know, to find its way. Right. So you feel like there's, it's, it's almost like the earth is connecting with us, trying to give us this information at these PowerPoints. Yes. And the fact that more and more, it's kind of obvious that the earth itself 
Gaia, you know, is a living being. Yeah, definitely. Yes. I just went to Colorado recently, and, and we went on a tour of some beautiful places, including Black, uh, Black Canyon of the Gunnison, which is absolutely stunning. Yeah, and so and that's great, isn't it? That that many many people are opening to all this, you know. And from that opening, I think will come a much deeper respect for nature, respect for each other, also. Um, so yeah, I I think you know it, it's not going to be immediate. I I don't believe that, but in certainly in your lifetime, Jake, you will see so many beautiful changes happening. I'm excited about it, but you know what? I've been here, this is probably like my 712th lifetime. I don't even know. I've been here so many times that I just feel like I already know the story. You know what I mean? So I'll yes. be back. I, I, yes. I, you know, I made the choice. I feel like I'm a person. I feel like you're a person. This guy's Bodhisattva material right here, 10 out of 10. He made the choice. God said, hey, dude, you want to go to the next dimension? It's so cool over here. He looked back at his friends. He said, oh, my God, I want to, believe me, but I want my friends to be there, too, and everybody else. So Frank went back. He's back here to help us evolve. I went back. So many people were all these beings, were these light beings, we light workers. We went back. Even though God gave us, he gave us a shot. He said, hey, dude, you can go. <laughs> you want to go? It's so cool. Look, angels. You're like, oh, my God. No, not yet. I'll be back. What do you think about that? Do you feel like do you feel the connection to the bodhisattva energy? Well, I certainly like the job <laughs> des description you just gave me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, look, dude, I feel like uh, you know, uh, Hopis have talked about this. You know, the Hopis talk about uh, 144,000 sun shields, the enlightened beings that will help evolve the earth. The, you read the the Christian book of Revelation, it talks about the 144,000, this energy, this, this not even just a specific number, but more like a frequency that of, of new being, you know, that will, and there's probably, and we've been probably manifesting for hundreds of years, thousands that are here to help humanity evolve. Because when you think about thousands, 10,000 years in the history of the universe, that's like 1.5 seconds. So like, uh, you know, we, we're here. We're these light beings. We're here to help humanity evolve. Earth is a weird and crazy place. It's very strange, but it has so much potential to be so good. I think our end game for humans is being representatives of love and light throughout the universe. You know, we're going to be having this high technology out in the universe, spreading these messages of love and light, showing people our artwork, teaching people Reiki, watching these other civilizations develop. What do you think about that, Frank? I think that's beautiful, brother. I mean, I couldn't have put it in any better way. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But what do you think about these people? There, you know, there's a school of thought in the spiritual circles that um, that the the Earth is imperfect. It's almost like a prison planet. We're we're here, like doing a sentence, like a jail sentence as humans. And then, you know, once we paid our dues, then we get to free. You, you, you probably don't subscribe to that. I know I don't. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. That's the Gnostics, you know. The yeah, I, the yeah. Demiurge. Yeah, what do you think about the Demiurge? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's just not very useful, you know. We, here we have this amazingly beautiful planet, you know, and it's possible uh, really to be happy here in spite of, you know, all the terrible things that are going on here. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not a proponent. I'm a proponent for social justice, you know. I think that's very, very important. But to think that this is a second-rate place, so <laughs> why would you? Why would we want to have 
Why would we come here? Why would we be able to manifest these beautiful things? Why would we be able to, to access multiple dimensions via meditation or psychedelics or whatever people's methods are? How could that even be possible in a prison planet type scenario? It doesn't make sense to me. No, it, it doesn't to me either. It's like saying, you know, that the big message of Jesus was that, you know, to, to suffer on the cross. I mean, that's not why Jesus came, right? No, definitely not. I mean, that's just so... Uh, almost infantile, you know, or that God would punish us, you know. And, it's very, and, like, like patriarchal and almost, like, tribal. Like, you're like, oh, the big dad in the sky is going to spank you for being bad. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. So I, I think most of our suffering is is, is uh, human-made, really. Um, How do you think the world would, would end up if we shifted all of our religious energies from any type of God of judgment to a God of infinite love, what, what would happen to earth? Oh, that would be amazing. I mean, that would be almost instantaneous, you know, but so, so we can start as, as you are doing also with your podcasts, you know, we can throw these seeds out, you know, and hope that they file, they find fertile ground, you know? And so, because really a lot of the change can happen by a different mindset, Right? It doesn't have to be just the external circumstances. I mean, they are important too. You know, we need to protect our forests. But if we have a mind that is the servant of the divine, we would be in a very great place. Yes, and we, if we were coming, and we were understanding that, that there's a for, energy of forgiveness coming from the divine. That under, that I often tell people, and I know we're here with Frank, I hate talking about myself so much, but look, I often tell people that the d divine, the complete divinity is with you with every thought that you have, every second, every microcent of the absolute complete divinity is with you all the time. And that's how vast and how unquantifiable the divine experience is. And people, it's hard for people to realize that. And they feel like that there's this, this judgment that they did you know, X, Y, and Z, therefore they're now unworthy and unclean. But then when you understand that God, the divine experience, the God, whatever that means, the divine experience is infinite love, then coming with infinite love is the forgiveness and understanding and the compassion. Beautiful, beautiful. Because, you know, when we forgive, we live in the now, right? When we don't forgive, we live in the past, which is not a great place to be. It's no longer there. In the now, everything is possible. Right, in the now, know that that exists. The now, the right now, everything is as it is right now. Nothing that exists before that is even around. So why let it hang you up? We got about 10 more minutes, Frank. So let's uh, let's talk about just a couple more things. I, I really love talking to you. You have the shamanic perspective. You have the Reiki per perspective. So if somebody wanted, if somebody's listening in, say, Portland or Oregon, and they wanted to actually have a session with you directly, what would they do? How would they have a session with you directly? Oh, well, they would contact me through my uh, website. And of course, with COVID, uh, I mean, actually, I started giving sessions uh, for people who, for whom that's comfortable. I also do work online, you know. I, um, we Zoom, and uh, I suggest to a person to get comfortable, lie on a massage table or, or on the floor, and I will take them through the various positions. I will use some affirmations to help them with that. Um, and, and that works. That does work. So that's one method. So you're not actually currently doing like in the same room 
uh, sessions? I, I'm doing some. I'm okay. doing some one on one. I'm not teaching classes at the moment. I'm waiting till it feels uh, safer to do that. Okay. But yes, so some people are coming so, back. So, so if you're interested, you're here in Frank, you're making, this is the guy I want the Reiki work done from. You just go to livinglightcenter.com uh, and you know fill out the form or call. Frank will get back to you and then you can have a session, which would be absolutely amazing. And then on top of that, you can also see Frank next year at the 37th annual Northwest Reiki Gathering, which takes place where? In Brighton Bush Hot Springs. Brighton Bush Hot Springs. And it's always the second weekend of August where the Persian meteors. meteors. The meteor shower. Yeah. Yes, beautiful. I'm sure it looks beautiful out there in eastern Oregon. Where is Brighton Bush again? Oh, it's it's about a two-hour drive from Portland. Okay, two-hour drive outside of Portland. You know, legendary place. But Yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible place. It's been there. It's off the grid. It's completely off the grid, which is amazing. They, they make the electricity from the, from the water... Um, and so hopefully next year it will be again possible to meet in person there. I have a feeling it will be, you know, at some point, uh, you know, humanity, we're just going to have to adjust and trust at some point we're going to have to let go of fear and embrace faith and just say, let whatever happens to me happen in a way that's in sync with my karma. If that's what I attract to myself because of the various things I've done in this life or previous life, I can't change anything. So I just got to keep moving forward. We can't stifle life. We can't stifle growth. How do you feel about that? Yes. I mean, I think it's very good to be scientifically based and cautious. Sure. And it's also good, you know, life is happening right now. And, and certainly for the younger people, you know, people cannot be locked in their homes forever. They're going to go crazy one way or the other. So to to find, and as you said, Jake, you know, to be guided, you know, to, to kind of tune in and see, am I going to be safe here? And if, if you get a yes, am I going to go to a bar tonight? Probably not, you know. But am I going to sit with Jake today? Sure. <laughs> Which uh, I'm so thankful. Yeah. So, so you know, to, to use your own good judgment and inform yourself, you know, because some places are safer than others, obviously. When... The world is united and we're living in this beautiful heaven on earth scenario. Where do you see Reiki in that equation? Do you see Reiki as the foundational tool of healing at the, in that future world? Well, I doubt whether it will be, but it could be. You know, I can certainly see a place for Reiki. And again, it could be under a different name, you know, where, where people meet and the basic reason for meeting is to exchange love energy in a sacred, respectful, and simple way. What an incredible, incredible place that would be. And it's possible. This is a collective choice, you know. Right. We can choose. I often tell people we can choose any reality we want. We have this incredible power with the human mind. And then you start stacking up human minds collectively. And we can make this world any world that we want it to be. So why are we choosing to make this world anything but the best place it could possibly be? We have all the power. We have God on our side. We have literally the breath of life inside of us, which literally is connected directly to God. So like that's all with us. So let's make this world the best place it can be. Frank, thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it. Livinglightcenter.com.
Frank, do you have any last words? Oh, it's been a fantastic pleasure. You know, this is the kind <laughs> of talk I love to have with people. And yes, I feel we become friends. And, and there will and be. And Frank will be back. Frank could be a reoccurring guest. So oh, we, I we could that. see. I would love that. All right, people. Well, thank you so much. And you guys have a great day. Midnight on Earth, y'all. 